that beautiful song. If you have your Bible with you, let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, we are in the text, uh, verses 17 through 20, and we were able to tackle the first two verses last week. We are looking at being spirit-filled in Christ, Uh, but uh, now today we're going to have part two in that as we cover verses, uh, verses 19 and 20. And so we'll read the entire text so that we understand the context, and then we'll focus on verses 19 and 20. Ephesians 5.17 says, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, once again, it is our privilege to come into your presence. We recognize the blessing of the written word that you inspired holy men of old to speak it, that you moved them to pin it down, that you have preserved it from generation to generation and through the translation of language so that we can confidently know that we have your word before us today. As such, Lord, we recognize its majesty and its authority. And so, Father, I pray that the word today would arrest our attention and direct our lives, shape our worldview, and sanctify us to be more like Christ. God, help me to be the messenger that you want me to be. May I not add to or take away, but may I simply explain what you have said And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. In the first sermon uh, on this text, I focused on the what of being spirit-filled. We we talked about what it means to be spirit-filled. It means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And we saw examples of that from the book of Acts, that it means he has control of our tongue. They went out and spoke the word of boldness. He has control of our hands. They served one another. He has control of our heart. Stephen prayed for forgiveness because he's filled with the Spirit, even when they were martyring him. And it means control of your feet. We see Barnabas traversing 300 miles uh, uh, to serve the church. And so uh, that was the what of spirit-filledness as we're looking at this, trying to understand what it means to be spirit-filled. And so in this sermon, I will focus on how to be spirit-filled, right? Sometimes we know the what. We say, okay, I understand what it means to be spirit-filled. And I see the the characteristics of people who are spirit-filled, but how do I get spirit-filled? How do I get into that, right? Uh, There are different uh, approaches to that, and sadly, there's some distortion to it. Some people today uh, think that it's an emotional frenzy that has been worked up by uh, certain styles of music or habits of, of, uh, of worship services, and they get a feeling, and they think that that is being spirit filled. But again, The Word of God has to be our authority in directing us to understand what it means. And we have in this very text an explanation of how we can be spirit-filled. Before we jump into the practical aspect of this text, we must first examine the grammatical and the theological aspects of the text. 
this word of God is divinely inspired, but it, it is to be grammatically and historically interpreted. So that means when we read the Bible, the plain meaning of Scripture is the meaning of Scripture. Uh, we're not reading it allegorically and saying, okay, this is what it says on the surface, but I know that there's a meaning below the surface that I've got to try and extract out. And so we approach it first grammatically and we consider the grammar, the grammatical structure of the text and say, what, what do these words mean and, and how are they used? And so grammatically, the word field is a verb which denotes an action. And so what we're talking about here is an action. Being spirit-filled is some sort of action that takes place. The subject of the verb is plural, which indicates that it's for all Christians. Be filled with the Spirit, and so it's plural. It doesn't mean that it's restricted to just an elite few. It doesn't mean that it's just for the clergy to be Spirit-filled. No, it is plural in the sense that every believer in Christ can be and should be filled with the Spirit. The tense of the verb is present, and that points to an action that is repeated or continuous. And so being filled with the Spirit is not a once-off. It's not a one-and-done. It's not, yeah, I remember one time I was filled with the Spirit, and I don't expect that to ever happen again. It, it, it is a tense that indicates that it is something that is to be repeated multiple times, or it can be continuous because it's in the present tense. And then the voice of the verb is passive, which implies that we are acted upon by the Spirit. And so we are commanded to be spirit-filled, but it is not we who fill ourselves with the Spirit. It is the Spirit who fills us. He acts upon us when the conditions are conducive for him to do so. Theologically, being filled with the Spirit is different from being baptized by the Spirit. And so there's some of that jargon that uh, emerged uh, around the uh, beginning of the 20th century with the charismatic movement and the Azusa Street Revival. And there's this emphasis on the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the second working of the Holy Spirit. And, and they began taking a term that was used in Scripture, but they misused it to describe something that it's not describing. And so uh, being filled with the Spirit is different from being baptized by the Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit it baptizes every believer at the moment of salvation. Uh, in Mark 1.8, John is preaching and says, I baptize you with water, but there's one that comes after me who will baptize you with the Spirit. And so he was talking about the advent of Jesus Christ and the dispensation that that would bring and that being placed in Christ would, would not just be a water baptism, but it would be a spirit baptism, immersed in the Spirit. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 makes this statement. It says that by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. And by the way, that's why we practice baptism by immersion. First, it is the mode that was used in Scripture, but it's the mode because it pictures that we have been immersed by the Spirit into the body of Christ. We have been baptized in the Spirit. You know, that word baptizo is an interesting word. They transliterated it when they translated the King James Version of the Bible. And, uh, and as they were translating it in a time when the state church was in charge and infant baptism was in place, but they were trying to be faithful to the Scriptures, 
they simply transliterated it. They said, we don't want to get in trouble. We're just going to take the Greek word and move it into the English language. Well, that Greek word, baptizo, means to immerse or to dip or to submerge. And it was used in the marketplace for dyeing cloth. And so think about the picture there. That that piece of cloth is immersed into the dye and the dye saturates the cloth so that it actually affects and changes the colors of the fiber permanently. And that is the word that God chose to use to describe what it means when you and I get baptized in the Spirit. We get immersed. He thoroughly saturates and infiltrates us and changes every fiber of our being. And that happened the moment that you got saved. And when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit never leaves you. He never leaves. He takes up permanent residency in your life for scripture validation on this just look at the book of Ephesians uh, back in uh, chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 it says in whom you also trust it after that you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation in whom also after that you believe you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So notice that when we got baptized in the Holy Spirit, we got sealed in the Spirit. That, that, that's permanency. As a matter of fact, it reinforces the permanency in that it is an earnest or a deposit until the possession is redeemed when Christ comes back for it. But we do need to know this. As we're talking about what it means to be filled with the Spirit as being different from being baptized with the Spirit, um, while the Spirit never leaves us, he can be grieved by the believer. Right? Ephesians 4.30, we saw that just a few weeks ago. It really kind of reiterates uh, Ephesians 1.13 um, when it says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. So again, there's never any indication that our misbehavior or our sin or our backsliding will cause the Holy Spirit to leave us, to exit us, because we are sealed until the day of redemption, but we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God in our life so we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God or we can be filled by the Holy Spirit of God and so being filled is different from being baptized in the Spirit uh, being filled can happen multiple times after salvation it can happen continuously after salvation but you are never rebaptized by the Spirit you're baptized once at the time of salvation in the Spirit, and that is sufficient and that is permanent. Remember, being Spirit-filled is not about you getting more of the Spirit. It's about the Spirit getting more of you. And so it's not like, oh, I need another dose of the Holy Ghost. Right. Oh, I got one back when I got saved, but I think it's worn off a little bit. I, I, need, to, I need to have a fresh, I need to have another immersion. I, I need to have a, a, another baptism in the Spirit. No, that's not what it is. It, it is you allowing the Holy Spirit of God to have more control of your life. We grieve Him when we fence off areas of our life or we lock them off to Him and we resist His guidance and we do not obey His instruction. 
But to be filled with the Spirit is for us to open up the chambers of our life, every area of our life, and allow the Spirit of God to, to be in control of our thoughts, of our actions, of our words, of our emotions. So practically speaking, how do we become Spirit-filled? The text tells us. The text tells us. Look at verses 19 and 20. Right after it says in verse 18, be filled with the Spirit, you have a semicolon and the sentence goes on, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, let's start with that first phrase, speaking to yourselves. Do you see it there? It's interesting. Speaking to yourselves. Uh, do you know that nobody speaks more to you than you? Now, it may not feel like it if you have small children or a chatty Kathy in your life. But the fact is, nobody talks more to you than you. We all have a running dialogue with ourselves every single day. It starts after the alarm clock goes off, doesn't it? And all of a sudden, there's this dialogue, there's this talk, there's this thought process that's going on in your mind. And it, it, it continues throughout the day. And sometimes you may be focused on something else, and the dialogue takes a break or a pause for a moment, but then uh, your focus is on other things, and it's back again. And usually, it's the last voice you're hearing at night before you go to sleep. It's your own voice. Here's the problem. A recent study from the National Science Foundation estimated that 80% of self-talk is negative. 80% of self-talk is negative. I don't know about you, but I, I can relate to that. Now, it's an estimate, right? There, there may be some more, some less, depending on the day, depending on what's happened. But I can't tell you how many times in my profession as, as a preacher that I've walked away from preaching and the internal dialogue was, Justin, why didn't you say this? You should have said that. Well, what about this verse? Well, why did you say that? And it's this, this critique that, that goes on. And that happens all the time with all kinds of different things, doesn't it? Right? Sometimes we, we uh, meet somebody and we like fumble over our words or we run two words together and then we walk away thinking, what in the world was I doing? That is so good. They must think I'm going to crazy. They're not going to talk to me again. But do you realize uh, an estimate of 80% of our self-talk is negative? And, and here's another factor that they discovered. 95% of a person's thoughts are exactly the same repetitive thoughts as the day before. So if you think, if you talk to yourself 80% negative today, then there, there, there's going to be a repetition of that tomorrow. So what you do today in your self-talk, what you do today in your thought life is going to be repeated 95% tomorrow. Well, that's bad news if you're talking to yourself negatively today, but the good news is if we're instructed by Scripture and we change how we're talking to ourselves, then, then we're going to see a change tomorrow and a change the day after that and the day after that and the day after that. God must have known this. He must have known that we would talk to ourselves, didn't he? Because 
to be spirit-filled, we are instructed on how or what to speak to ourselves. Speaking to yourselves in criticisms and negativity and regret. No, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things and to God and the Father. To become spirit-filled, we must change the focus and content of our inner dialogue. Change it from what? From negative to positive? No. I don't believe in the power of positive thinking to change things. I've tried to think positively about my bank account, and it doesn't raise the balance (laughs) one bit. What's the focus that we need to change from? Well, it's a focus from self to God. If we're having negative self-talk, that's because the focus is on us and our mistakes, our shortcomings, our inabilities, our regrets. You see, when we focus on self, it is going to be negative. Unless you're a megalomaniac, unless you've got some kind of ego that is out of control, your self-talk is going to be focused on your shortcomings, And so even if it is negative, it is self-focused. So God tells us how to change the focus. Change the focus of your self-talk from self to God. Number one, focus on Scripture. Focus on Scripture. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Those are all Scripture-based. Those are all scripture-based. Those, all three of those terms, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, are all scripture-based. Psalms, we know, is a poetic book in the Old Testament. Sometimes it is referred to as the Hebrew hymnal because uh, they were orchestrated with music and sung by the Jews in their worship. As we read this morning in Psalm 33 that they were to, uh, to praise the Lord with uh, the harp and the instrument of ten strings and that they were to sing a new song. Well, you can't sing that new song if you haven't written that new song. And so the Psalms is a collection of uh, these inspired songs. It is Scripture. It is a part of Scripture. So he says, speak to yourselves in psalms but then it also says hymns did you know that as many as 35 passages of scripture in the new testament are historically identified as hymns that were sung by the early new testament church in fact the first chapter of ephesians verses 1 through 3 is believed to have been an early Christian hymn. It has a refrain to the praise of his glory, and it happens three times as almost as if it is metered. And so while Paul's intention may not have been to write a hymn, the inspiration of God led him to write in such a fashion that those early Christians would have adopted that and began singing that as part of their worship. And then spiritual songs are inspired by biblical teachings about God or experiences with God. Just think about a couple of the songs that are mentioned in Scripture. The song of Moses that happens after the crossing of the Red Sea. That that was a song praising God, and it was documenting what God had done. And then it gets recorded in the Pentateuch. Uh, We've got the song of Deborah after Barak defeats the enemy, and they celebrate it, and they write a song to commemorate that and to talk about what God has done. And again, that gets inspired and put in as part of Scripture. 
to confirm that all of these terms right here, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs are scripture-related, I would like to direct you to a parallel passage. So if you'd hold your place in Ephesians 5 and, and, and find Colossians 3. There are some parallel passages in the Bible. We know that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are uh, uh, parallel. Uh, they are called the synoptic gospels because much of the content is, is repeated in all three of those. But there's other texts in Scripture that are parallel. For instance, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, when Paul is writing about the requirements of a bishop or an elder. That's, that's a parallel passage. And so we can stand them side by side and say, oh, he's talking about the same thing in the same terms. Well, you find this in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. As a matter of fact, they both in those texts go on to talk about the role of the wife, the role of the husband, the responsibility of the parent, and uh, the response of the child. They're, they're paralleling each other. Here's what I want you to see. Colossians 3.16 beside of Ephesians 5.18 and 19. Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Did you notice the second part of that is exactly the same? Speaking uh, to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The first part is what's different. In Ephesians, it is be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In Colossians, it is be filled or let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And I say this on the authority of God's word, to be spirit-filled, one must be word-filled. You say, I want to be spirit-filled. Then fill your tank with this. Fill your life up with the word of God. You say, really? You know, I mean, I know some people really know the Bible, but they don't seem to be spirit-filled. Well, I know some people who say they're spirit-filled, but they don't know the Bible. Can I just point out a connection to you between the Holy Spirit and the Holy Scriptures? Uh, inspiration. Holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Oh, it was the Holy Spirit of God that moved upon those men to pen these words. I mean, he was part of the very inception of the written word of God. How about this? Uh, he is the one who teaches us, Jesus said in John uh, 14, 16, that, that the Spirit, when he comes, will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. Whoa, wait a minute. The Holy Spirit and the word of God hang out together. Not only that, he is the one who illuminates the word of God. Illuminate means to shine the light or to turn the light on. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 it says it's not entered into the eyes or the heart or the mind of man the things that God's prepared for us but he's revealed them unto us by his spirit. And he says the natural man, the natural mind cannot discern these things because they are spiritually discerned. And so it's the Holy Spirit of God that, that turns the light on when you and I are reading the Word of God and all of a sudden uh, that, that verse becomes clear to us. It leaps off the page. It's like there's a spotlight shining on it. It's the Holy Spirit of God who's illuminating it. And then how could we neglect the book in which we're studying? Ephesians chapter 6 says that the, the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. 
right? It's the weapon and it is the tool that the Holy Spirit uses in our life to fight the spiritual battles, to do the spiritual surgery in our life. I am telling you, if you want to be spirit-filled, you begin by being word-filled. Focus on the scriptures. But it doesn't answer the question, why did Paul say psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? Why didn't he just say the word? Why didn't he say, why didn't he say Moses and the prophets like other pastors of scripture? Here's what I think. This is what I think. You can think something differently. But those are mnemonic devices to help a person remember the Word of God. You know, remember what a mnemonic device is? It is something that you associate with another item so that you can remember it. And if you Google it, one of the number ones, music. How do we teach kids the ABCs? It's all playing in your head, isn't it? A, B, C, D, E, F, G, A. That's a mnemonic device. Isn't it amazing how that works? And so he's saying to these people who didn't have the access to the scriptures that you and I have, that you ought to hide these words in your heart. You ought to memorize them so that you can speak them to yourself. Because you know what I have found in my life is that rarely do I fight the spiritual battle when my Bible's open in front of me. When I'm in my devotional time and I'm reading the Word, man, it's clear. I don't see the enemy for miles around most of the time. It's when I'm away from this book and perhaps I'm in my car driving. <laughs> you know, something overtakes me called anger. And I really can't open up my Bible right then in that moment to try to find a verse. But if I've memorized it, be angry and sin not. Right? The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Whew, all of a sudden I'm talking to myself. But I'm talking to myself, the Word of God. The Spirit of God is doing that. We use the excuse as we go older, well, I just can't, I just can't remember things anymore. Baloney. I could, bring, I, could, I, could, I could turn the radio on today and begin playing the genre of music that you went to high school with, <laughs> and you would start singing the lyrics. We can memorize it. If we want to be spirit-filled, we've got to put the focus on Scripture. We've got to be word-filled. We need to memorize whatever you need to use. There's nothing wrong with using a mnemonic device to memorize it, to put it in a rhyme or to associate it with something or to put it to music. Uh, but do something so that you can get the Word of God into your head and you can speak to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Number two, focus on worship. Focus on worship. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. If you only worship God once a week when you come to church, then you will have a hard time being spirit-filled. I mean, if this is the only time you actually engage in worship, 
when you give your attention to God, when you, when you actually fill your mouth with praises to him, you, you sing and make a melody to God, if you're only doing that once a week, you're going to have a hard time being spirit-filled. Worship is supposed to be a way of life for believers. It's supposed to be a way of life. As a matter of fact, there's a theological term that is used, and it says that we are to live a doxological life. Now, I, I like that just because I like words. That's a fun word to say, doxological, at least for a West Virginian. It, it's very fun to be able to pronounce a word like that. But you know what the doxology is. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above you, heavenly host. Praise him, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Doxology simply means praising God to his glory. And that's the life that you and I are supposed to live. Our life is supposed to be a doxology. It is supposed to be lived out in praise to God. It is to be a, a, a way of life. We are to worship God every single day. We should not think in our week in terms of Sunday is the day of worship. No, Sunday is the day of the gathering of the church to worship. Sunday through Saturday are all days of worship. And we ought to enter those days with that mentality, realizing that every day is a day to worship God. I was made to worship him, and I can worship him, and I don't need a choir to worship him, and I don't need the instruments to worship him, and I don't need a congregation to worship him. I can worship him individually. And that's what this text is talking about. Notice that we are to sing and make melody in our heart to the Lord. That, that's in the inner man. That, that's, that's the intimacy of worship. Because let me tell you, you can come to church and you can go through the motions of worship and not worship God. Worship is an expression from the heart and it has to begin here. And so the fact is we don't have to be in this setting to worship God. We can worship God every single day in our hearts. What is being described here is private worship. Worship, not public worship. The emphasis is on individual worship rather than corporate worship. It's the inner sanctuary of the heart when you can get alone with God and you can worship Him and you can praise Him. You know, we should sing God's praises every day. If we truly worship God, if he is our God, if we believe in him as we have declared and we reject all other would-be gods, how can we restrain ourselves from worshiping him? How can we reduce it down to a once-a-week item on our calendar? How can I say, I'm scheduling to worship God on Sundays and then the rest of the week is my time? It's an impossibility. It's an incongruity. I may not have pronounced that word correct. <laughs> I say to you that there's never been a better time or an easier time to worship God. Do you realize that we, we are sitting on a 2,000-year repository of worship music? I mean, we have the hymns of the Reformation 
We have the, the, the new music that is being written today. We have stacks of hymnals. We have radio stations dedicated to it. You and I have the added convenience of technology that we can open up our phone and we can push a button and we can have the song playing. And in the privacy of our own home, we can say, Oh, Lord, my God, how great thou art. You see, we've got to put the focus on worship if we want to be spirit-filled. And so I'd ask you, how is your private worship? I mean, it's great for me to describe it and all, but at some point the rubber's got to meet the road, and you've got to answer that question, how is your private worship? You say, well, preacher, I've been going through it. I don't, you know, it's, it's hard to worship. Well, you know, it's interesting because the Bible includes a reference about a guy who's in his 80s, possibly touching on 90, and he's been exiled to an island. An island that, in the description I read, is mostly like volcanic rock. Not a lot of vegetation there. It's in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And that old man, exiled on a rock in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, says in Revelation 1, 9, and 10 that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. How's that possible? Private worship. When you and I worship God in the privacy of our own heart, when we adore him, uh, we can find ourselves in the Spirit. No matter where we are, we can worship God. Not because of what's going on in our life, but because of who he is. What he has done. What he is doing and what he is going to do. And then third, focus on prayer. He says in verse 20, Ephesians 5.20, Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it doesn't explicitly say prayer. But what I gather from Scripture is that giving of thanks is synonymous with praying. I mean, think about this. Prayer has, has been mostly reduced to requests nowadays. It, it is a gimme, 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 oh Lord, I need, I need, I need. But in Scripture, biblical prayer always included thanksgiving to God. Listen to this psalm, Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Praying is approaching God. Praying is coming to the throne of God. Praying is when we shut out the rest of the world and we say, I am coming into the presence of God. And Psalm 100 describes how we come into the presence of God. We come into the presence of God with thanksgiving. We enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Gratitude places the focus of prayer on God where it should be. Not on us. 
Why do I begin my, my prayer time by thanking God for who he is and, and praising him for what he has done? Because the focus of prayer is supposed to be God, not me. And if I come in like this, oh, Lord, I need, I need this. I'm bad way. I'm desperate. Then the focus of my prayer is on me. And God is simply the, uh, the divine dispensary that meets my need. And I'm the center of the universe. But when we come to him with thanksgiving, before we bring our request, we're saying, God, you're the center of the universe. And that if you don't give me anything that I'm about to ask for, you are still worthy of my praise and you are still owed thanks for what you've done. How selfish and self-centered it is to only pray to God to ask for more. Has he not given you anything? If you are a praying person, does that not indicate that he has saved your soul and you believe that you have a personal relationship with him? And when you come in time to prayer, the only thing you can say is, Lord, I need more. I don't know about you, but as a parent, I don't like it when my kids treat me that way. And it's wrong for us to treat God that way. Yes, we're supposed to bring our requests to the Lord in prayer. But we should also spend a portion of our time thanking God for the things that he's done for us. Listen to Philippians 4, 6. Be careful, worry about nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. I'm telling you, it is biblical. And if we want to be spirit-filled, we've got to change the focus. We've got to focus on scripture. We've got to focus on worship. We've got to focus on prayer. To do otherwise than coming to God with thanksgiving in our prayer time is to quench the Spirit. Again, listen to 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 through 19. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit. There's a reason those are three are stacked together. If we come to God praying, but we're not giving him thanks, we're going to quench the spirit. And that is the opposite of being spirit-filled. It means to suppress the spirit, to push him down, to, uh, to relegate him away. And so to be spirit-filled is really not complex, but it is difficult. You know, I find it like other things in life, simple but not easy. I've learned that the secret to losing weight is what everybody already knows. Diet and exercise. Just very hard to apply those, isn't it? The secret to finances. Save, don't spend. We all know it. It's just hard to do. So I'm not telling you anything new. Well, preacher, all you're doing is tell me to read my Bible, to worship God, and to pray. Yes, because that's what the Bible is telling us to do. And it is saying that we can be filled with the Spirit, speaking to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our heart, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so if that is divinely connected to being Spirit-filled, then I realize that that must be a part of my life. So let me ask you, are you filled with the Spirit? Now, only you know that. There's no gauge on your forehead that, that I can read. You don't have one of those chips like the dog from the dog pound that I can scan you and see. 
if you're filled with the Spirit. Only you know if you are filled with the Spirit of God. If you know in your heart that you're not, then the answer is simple. Change your focus. Change your self-talk to Scripture. Change your worship from weekly to daily. And change your prayer from request to thanksgiving. And see if you don't experience the fullness of the Spirit. Would you bow with me? So we bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. The aim of Scripture is not simply to get a response at the altar. The aim of Scripture is to transform our lives to be more like Christ. And so the impact of this preaching today is not how it makes you feel. It is what you do with it. Is there room in your life to be more Scripture-focused? How long has it been since you memorized a Scripture verse? Would it be good to put that into practice? How's your private worship? Do you have a private time with the Lord that's not just duty, not just reading the Bible, but a time of worship when you sit or kneel in awe of who God is? in the quietness, in the solitude of your soul, you just reflect upon him and you pour out your love to him. Then how about your prayer time? Is it all about you or is it about God? Do you thank him for who he is and for what he's done before you ask him for more? I'm telling you, those things there can be life-changing in the life of a believer. Heavenly Father, I do pray and ask that your Holy Spirit would apply these truths to our hearts as we leave this place today. Our desire is to be Spirit-filled, Lord. We know that we can't live the Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit upon us. We want to be effective witnesses. We want to be lights that shine in the dark world. We want to stand against evil and and against uh, falsehoods. Lord, uh, we want to be faithful to you until you return, but we need your Holy Spirit's fullness to do that. And so, God, I pray and ask that you would help us to implement these things in our lives that we may be experiencing the fullness of the Spirit each and every day and the fruit that comes with that. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.